You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. It is the APC Podcast here at AcmePackingCompany.com, part of SB Nation and Vox. The NFL Draft has concluded mercifully all 89 televised hours. It's actually more than that. I was just trying to rattle off a random large number, but I, th- I think it's, is it more than that? I, I don't know, whatever. I am Zach Rapport, dialing it in from Albuquerque, New Mexico, and joining me to talk all things Packers NFL draft results. First, we have Ben Foldy out in Brooklyn, New York. Ben, how are you? I'm good. I realize now that I, I should have borrowed, I, I gotten the mic stand from Alex as well, because I'm just sitting on my couch holding a mic like a weirdo. Don't you casually do that all the time anyway? I mean, I do, but it's, sometimes it gets annoying. Be nice to put my arm down. <laughs> and joining us as well, all the way from Columbus, Ohio, hot off more playoff hockey and sounding uh, as as sultry as ever <laughs> with his raspy voice. It is the man who keeps the lights on here, our fearless leader, Evan Tex Western. Tex, how are you, man? I'm good. Another uh, big home win for the Blue Jackets last night, and uh, we got a, a fun draft class to break down, so I'm in good spirits. Hell yeah. Well, actually, before we can get into the uh, get into the draft, which we will do momentarily. We wanted to hit on some uh, breaking news today. The Packers have exercised their fifth-year option on uh, Kenny Clark, meaning that he will stay a Packer through at least the 2020 season. Tex, we basically knew this was coming, but uh, how happy are you if you're Mike Patton right now? Oh, you got to be ecstatic. I mean, this is the guy who has really developed into your force in the center of that defensive line, um, really ever since the the kind of coming down the home stretch of that 2017 season. So um, he's your best defensive lineman right now and uh, probably will be for the foreseeable future. And I would be very surprised if I'm being honest, if he actually plays in 2020 on that option deal. Um, I I bet that next off season, he ends up signing a long-term contract extension, but it's good to have him for sure for another, another two more years, regardless. Doesn't this bit of good news uh, text make you want to break out into a song? Kenny Clark. That should be. I mean, like, I'm gonna be honest. I'm like, Go Pack Go is not the most inspiring chant. I'm a fan, <laughs> whatever. But I don't. It's not exactly like winning on originality. But I would much rather join into a, a Kenny Clark do 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 do. Let's start that. It should be a thing. I mean, there's no reason not to. It's much better than Coon. Hey, he's part of the media team now. Layoff. It's not a knock on Kuhn. It's a knock on the fans and our relatively lazy uh, nonsense. It's yeah. Any 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 ooh syllable is is easy to chant for for sports fans anywhere. But I really like the call and response um, possibilities of of the Baby Shark reference. So I think that that's a that's a good good option. Yeah, Kenny Clark, DJ Chark could have gotten the same thing. <laughs> 
Oh, we've really gone off the deep end now. Yeah. Hey, pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) Tex, you and I actually, we hopped on the pod here on Thursday night to break down the uh, first round picks one and two. But, But Ben, I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't give you a chance to give a quick take on Rashawn Gary and Darnell Savage, the Packers' first round picks before we move on. I'm not going to lie. I was disappointed in the Rashawn Gary pick when it happened. I think that's not particularly unique in Packers fandom. I'm not totally past that skepticism, I guess. To me, it seems that taking that big a risk at 12 is a risk. I don't know. I don't have a better word for it. Eloquent. (laughs) The lack of production is worrying. And when I watch the film... I see the same things everybody else does, which is why is he so slow getting off the ball if he's this like physical machine? Um, I have to hope that the Packers see something I don't. And, uh, you know, and now that he's in the fold, I'm pulling for him. But uh, I, I don't think it's, you know, I should live and die by my takes. And my initial take was not great. Um, that said, I feel pretty much the complete opposite about the Savage pick. I think it was great to move up. I feel like what we heard coming out of the press conferences afterwards makes it pretty clear that they thought Baltimore was going to take him at 23 or 22, wherever Baltimore was. Considering that that they, you know, have a pretty close connection to Baltimore in the in the scout room now, and in general is pretty good at drafting uh, secondary. Uh, I think that's that's probably a vote of confidence, both in the reality of that of that outcome and and in that in their evaluation of the player and and you know everything I everything I feel about watching Rashawn Gary's tape and feeling underwhelmed, I feel the opposite about about Savage and like I, I watch that tape and all I see is you know ridiculously good closing speed. I, th- I think if there's one thing that can define a Gutekunst draft so far, it's that like athletes Uber Uber Alice and. Uh, um, that is really clear in the Savage tape, and and you know I don't see anything not to like. I mean, fast reactions, great instincts, um, like true center fielder to pair up with Amos, and um, I, I like the tape a lot more than I liked uh, even the Josh Jones tape, and I liked that tape just fine. But yeah, Savage has me really excited. Yeah, and for more on Rashawn Gary and Darnell Savage, I would implore anyone who hasn't yet to go back and listen to Tex and I doing our rapid reactions uh, over the over the weekend. Um, that got a lot of traction, so hopefully you guys have all listened to that already. Before we move into the the rest of the draft here, now that it's all complete, I kind of wanted to... We haven't done note nugs in a while, hashtag note nugs, got to keep the brand strong, and I, and I kind of thought we should do that in terms of our, our overall feelings here on the, on the draft. Um, I'll go first and give my notable nugget coming out of this draft, um, which is that the Packers sort of seem to say that they are, by and large, okay on offense to roll out really what they had last year. And and there was a lot of talk about taking a tight end early or offensive line super early and, and, and what can we give Matt LaFleur to sort of boost this offense, an offense that really underproduced relative to expectations last year. And um, for the most part, it seems like uh, what they're doing is stocking up that defense and trying to win a bunch of 20-point ball games. I don't know. That I thought that was really striking. Now that you know that Aaron Rodgers was playing on a broken leg, does that make you feel differently about the offensive performance last year? Yes, most definitely. 
knowing that, I don't look at last season and say that was a completely ineffective offense. And then even even today, I was helping a friend in a dynasty draft, and it got me thinking about like Ty Montgomery. I was, you know, we were talking about Justice Hill. It just reminded me of how many weird, fluky losses there were last season. And, yeah. and it, I, you know, I think the parts were there, like to have a good year. It just, you know, and I'm not, you know, maybe coaching was the part that was missing. But and and Aaron Rodgers, uh, you know, whatever part of his leg was busted up, tibial plateau fracture. Yeah, tibial plateau was maybe not there. But yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't look back at last season and go, oh, like there was this gaping hole on the offense that just needed to be filled and and really needed, you know, a lot of energy thrown at it. I don't know if, if Tex, if you have a take on that. Well, I'll just say that I I tend to agree with their evaluation of the roster. I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge Aaron Jones fan. Ben, I think you and I are probably some of the bigger uh, Equinemia St. Brown fa- fans. Um, I'm around. the king I, of the I, fan club, right? And I'm I'm right there with you on that one, man. I think he's he's really going to be something special. So, um, with with him and with with what Valdez Scantling showed, and with with Geronimo Allison coming back. Um, I think the, the one area where you, you had some real room or the two areas where you had real room for improvement were tight end and offensive line. And as we'll get to, um, they did end up addressing those. So I, I agree with, with their assessment. I agree with, with Zach, with your assessment of how they view the roster. Yeah. I mean, I will say that. So my notable nugget is that I, I was surprised that they didn't take a wide receiver. And that was more about the way that the draft board was falling than it was the way I didn't think they needed to spend early draft capital on a, on a wide receiver, but there were names in the fourth and fifth and so on that, that I was pretty into. And even, even uh, as undrafted free agents, I mean, I'm sure they probably got in touch with Stanley Morgan jr. And, and made a pitch, but you know, he signed with the Bengals pretty much right within like a tw- 10 minutes of the draft ending yeah. something like that yeah emmanuel hall is the other one that i had my eye on when he went undrafted and unfortunately he ended up signing with chicago right away so that was a bit of a bummer yeah so there were definitely names uh later on that and and i was wondering if there was kind of going to be a you know just as there was a ted thompson second round wide receiver prospect maybe there was like a Gutekunst fifth rounder type guy you know somebody who tested really well maybe from a smaller school yeah, and I'll admit I was I was surprised that that the Packers uh, stood as pat as they did at wide receiver, but that's not to say, I mean that was in a way almost because I doubted myself. You know, like just because I think Equinemia St. Brown is legit doesn't mean that the Packers do. But I do think that um, you know depth is a little a little worrying on on the offense uh, at, at wide receiver. Um, but you know I, I'm 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 I hope I hope they're right. I guess is uh, is where I'm at. But I but you know Kumaro is is maybe legit. Um, you know I'm not I'm not I don't look at wide receiver and go like oh my god who's going to catch the ball. Yeah, well for for my note now I'll go with Gudikins giving Mike Pettin lots of fun toys to play with. Um, I, I think you look at all these these picks on defense and you have versatile guys who can play multiple positions. I mean Gary can come in he can. He can rush off the edge for you. He can put his hand in the dirt and, and be an interior rusher, uh, very similar to Zadarius Smith in that way. And and I think it kind of goes along with the philosophy that they're uh, that they're going for that they want bigger, more versatile players on that front seven. Um, even the fifth rounder uh, defensive lineman that, that they picked up, um, similar issue where where he can play multiple positions along the defensive line. So so that's my thing is is Mike Petton's got a lot of fun new toys to play with and um 
And I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what his scheme looks like this year with, with personnel that fits better his philosophy than, than what he had last year when he was still kind of transitioning over from the personnel that were, were drafted and, and brought in to fit in Don Caper's scheme instead. Uh, on that note, I think the first take on Savage uh, was, and, and I think I might have even fallen for this too, was like, oh, it's Micah Hyde, you know, this kind of like hybrid nickel corner safety. And then the, the second I watched his film, I'm like, no, that would be a huge waste. Um, yes. But yeah. what I do think is that it frees up Josh Jones to be a true dollar backer. Like you don't need him to be pretending to be a center fielder that he isn't anymore. And, and so I, I do think that even, even if Savage, who I think can play corner and can, you know, go into these, you know, diamond nickel heavy packages. I mean, every time Ben Fennel's on, he talks about how, you know, whatever the Packers, I think they, their base is basically dime at this point. And, and he is a good piece for that, even if he's not being used for his like corner versatility, like he, he opens up the field for other players to do more. Uh, and still have kind of smart, safe speed on the back end. Yeah, I, t- I totally agree. Um, let's actually take a quick ad break, and uh, we'll be back with a pick-by-pick discussion right after this. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, we're back, so let's just get started. Round two, pick 44. It's Elton Jenkins. The G, I have learned, is silent. Mississippi State offensive lineman. Uh, there was a run on linemen around this time, so it's it's hard to to know who's telling the truth in terms of where Jenkins ranked for the Packers, but versatility was clearly a selling point here. He's played all over the offensive line. In fact, even though the Packers apparently picked him to play guard, he was Todd McShay's third-ranked center in the draft. Tex, I can't say for certain that the OL has vastly improved this offseason, but they, they certainly have a ton of options now. Definitely. And, and the depth at the very least should be significantly improved. Um, you know, bringing in Billy Turner to, to play guard or tackle now bringing in Jenkins, you've got a, a you know, a guy who, who might be capable of starting on day one at guard. Um, and now you've got a, a real bona fide backup if something were to ever happen to Corey Lindsley too. So, so looking down the depth chart, this line looks a heck of a lot better than it did last year. Um, you're not going to be relying on Byron Bell to, to play a major role in the two deep, which is, um, which is certainly a, a good thing for anybody who watched him play last year. So as far as Jenkins goes, though, um, I think we all kind of fell into the trap of, well, the Packers never draft college interior linemen. They only draft guys who, who played tackle. And that, that was why he wasn't really on my radar, but he checks off all the other boxes. And he did even have that little bit of, um, of experience playing tackle in college early on before he moved inside. So, so maybe he should have been on our radar. Um, but there's, there's some highlights of him, um, from the senior bowl, just, just mauling people. And by, by all accounts, I mean, he's a great guy in the locker room. Um, real, real high character guy. Uh, everybody raves about him. And I think the other kind of bonus here is that the Packers got a little bit of an inside look at him when they rehired Luke Getze 
to, to be the quarterback's coach because Getsy was Mississippi State's offensive coordinator the last couple of years. And so he got a, a up-close and personal look at Jenkins, and I'm sure he probably vouched for him to the, the scouting staff and the personnel department. So um, from all those perspectives, I, I like the pick. Um, I, I was surprised by it, certainly, when it, when it happened. But, um, you know, when you look at where the, the major needs were here, I think it makes sense, especially if the team looks at Billy Turner as probably being a tackle um, you know, maybe in 2020 and beyond. I agree with everything you said, particularly the Luke Getze thing. I also think that, you know, it was a surprise, but once I dug into it, I was like, oh, this makes perfect sense. The one thing, and maybe this is an exercise you guys don't want to do, but I was curious. I, I like to go over drafts by looking at who else I would have taken in that spot or like other possibilities. And I'm just curious. I mean, is there anybody that like, you know, I, I know my initial reaction was like, what? There were all these other guys on the board still. Um, and, and I'm just kind of curious who those names were for you guys, if any. Yeah, I mean, I know a lot of people were really big on Irv Smith, the Alabama tight mm-hmm. end. Um, I, I was never as big a fan of him as a lot of people were. No, I wasn't either. No, there there were honestly there were there were wide receivers there and and maybe yeah you know the uh, for me a guy like Paris Campbell I think could have been a really fun piece in this offense for Lafleur, um, getting him the ball in space and and letting him make things happen with his feet. So you know even even like an AJ Brown, either one of the the Ole Miss receivers at forty four, I think you can make a case. I was always you know anti DK Metcalf at at twelve, but you know it, it was very much that would have been like a Josh Jackson for me where last year I wasn't, wouldn't have been crazy about him at 14, but at 45, I was, I was loving it. And if the the Packers had taken Metcalf or AJ Brown there at 44, um, I would have been perfectly happy with that. So, so from that perspective, yeah, I think receiver was actually what I was probably expecting uh, more than anything else at that point. And there was, there was a run after that. Um, it was like all the names that I kind of thought they might go with. I mean, I, I didn't think that, that our Sega Whiteside and uh, Isabella would come off the board that early. I, I don't think it's a mistake that they did. Um, like, I don't think those teams were reaching. But Chase Winovich was another name that I, I was, you know, throwing around there. Uh, Polite, you know, was on the board. He, he dropped a lot more than I think people expected. And the other, I mean, Greedy Williams is the, is the other name that really kind of, I was like, whoa. And, and, but you know, that I think the Browns probably made a smart pick and taking them where they took them. But yeah, I, I don't, you know, when I look at the team's needs and, uh, and, and, you know, what I imagine was their reasoning for doing what they did, I, I think it checks out. Texan, you mentioned the possibility of a tight end there at 44. So why don't we just transition to round three, where the Packers did address the tight end position, picking up Jace Sternberger from Texas A&M, a guy who's, um, you know, his combine numbers were not eye popping. But when you watch the tape, he certainly looks like he plays faster than he ran at the combine, uh, has the strength to drag guys along. And, and in a draft where a number of big name tight ends went early, to me, it does make sense uh, to draft a tight end there in the third rather than invest sort of that high draft pick capital in a position that that typically takes a year or two or sometimes three to develop and contribute. What do you think, Tex? Yeah, I think the the Packers said it best that this was a perfect match of the board um, giving them the best player available at a position of need. Um, and, and it's clear that they really like Sternberger. They, they met with him, I think, at the Senior Bowl. Um, they met with him at the Combine. Uh, they brought him in for a pre-draft visit as well. And so um, clearly there was there was an interest level there. And um, you mentioned the, the, the time speed. 
Um, the Packers said that they timed him at 466, I think is what Gudikins said, uh, compared to the 475 that uh, that he was recorded at officially, but at the combine. And that seems to make um, make a little more sense based on what you see on the tape. Um, he makes some some really impressive athletic catches. Um, and, and unlike a, a certain third round tight end about a decade ago, hands do not seem to be an issue for this guy at all. Basically, if you put it anywhere near him, um, he's going to come down with the football. So I'll be very interested to see how he develops as a blocker. I think there's potential there, and there's certainly a willingness to, to do that job. Um, and so I think he's got the benefit of being able to come in as a rookie, learn that part of the game from one of the best in Mercedes Lewis, and uh, really you know, start to develop that, por- that portion of his game as a rookie uh, before he's asked to be you know, potentially a starter in 2020. I love this pick. You know, I think one thing that I do think this pick and the, I think it's the Kingsley uh, pick in the fifth, they, there's a, a kind of a late bloomer uh, look, you know, catching players on the upswing. And, and it, it's similar a little to, to what uh, Russ Ball kind of saw in Nick Perry before they extended that. It was like Nick Perry ended the season before that his first uh, one-year deal uh, on this kind of upswing, including the playoffs. So I, Sternberger is the most productive tight end in the NCAA last season, I'm pretty sure. I mean, and you can, you know, point to the fact that Fant and um, Hawkinson, you know, kind of maybe cannibalized each other's production a bit at Iowa. But, you know, Sternberger kind of had everything you want to see in a college tight end production-wise. And if if the Packers really did time him uh, better better than he than he seemed... The Packers both thought he was a better athlete than he supposedly tested and, you know, have all that production. Um, I think basically they they got essentially I don't see any reason why he can't be the best tight end in this in this class from from a production standpoint. I mean, obviously, I think Hawkinson is, you know, obviously the best kind of pure tight end blocking catching prospect uh at the position in a long time i also think that if anybody can screw up a sure thing uh you know early first round draft capital tight end it's the detroit lions <laughs> as eric ebron amply demonstrated last season but I, I think this is a great pick i think it's a great position for sternberger because tight ends take a little while to develop i think uh, even even more so than wide receivers graham has this built-in year where he's you know both productive and or disposable and you know what else does he have to do uh then then learn and and chip in where he can work on his blocking i I think it's really i mean this this is maybe the best pick of the draft it's it's up there moving right along to round five at pick 150 the aforementioned kingsley uh, kingsley kiki was selected texas a&m defensive lineman another freak athlete kind of a theme here with gutekunst um in this draft and the last a guy who who's just He's just made of muscle. He's played all over the defense at Texas A&M, posting seven sacks and 11 tackles for loss as a defensive end last year. Um, although, as I mentioned, playing other positions at other body weights previously. I saw actually Rob Domofsky posit that this pick likely closes the door on a possible Mo Wilkerson return. Tex, what do you think of that angle? No, I, I definitely think that that's, um, that's probably the way this is going to go. And, and I think that was all but assured when they gave Kiki Wilkerson's number 96 earlier this week too. Um, so Ooh, I missed that. Ouch. Yeah. Yeah. So that's uh, the, the, as Clay Matthews would say, the body's still not even cold yet, but as far as Kiki, I'm, I'm really intrigued to find out where they want to put him because, mm-hmm. you know, like we said, we can, you can play him 
Um, he says he feel com- feels comfortable playing any weight between about 290 and like 330. So you could put him on the nose. You could put him out at three tech. Um, you could, you know, you could get him up to maybe 310, 315 and, and maybe even put him at, at the five tech spot. He's got nice long arms that, that could pat- contribute out there. Um, I mean, ultimately, I think you look at him year one as being another one of these guys who who contributes in a rotation on the interior as a pass rusher. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're cycling through between Clark, Daniels, Zadarius Smith, Rashawn Gary, now Kiki and, and Dean Lowry. You've got lots of bodies to throw in that spot. And, and I think that's going to be really good to keep everybody else fresh, but, um, that's probably where he makes, um, you know, makes an impact in his first year, but I could see them, you know, having him bulk up to like three ten, maybe be, you know, be viewed as a potential starting three tech. Um, if Mike Daniels ends up, um, being on the move after 2019 when his contract is up. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the rotation element is, is big here and, and both from a, a longevity perspective and, and a production perspective, I, I do have to think that if, if Mike Patton can scheme, 10 sacks for, for Kyler Fackrell, he should have no problem scheming, you know, a combined 40 sacks for, you know, these five guys. Um, Hey, Fackrell earned those sacks. Sometimes, <laughs> you know, I'm not knocking Fackrell. He, he did beat Andrew Whitworth once. I mean, that, that yeah. was, that no, was an impressive individual play. I'll give him that. He had some great reps last season. I'm not <laughs> taking anything away from him. I realize now I sound like I'm besmirching uh, <laughs> Kyler Fackrell. We already issued our podcast wide apology. So, um, I'm sorry. Continue. Yeah, no, I, 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 I'm not besmirching him. I'm also just not, you know, if, if, if Russ Ball decides that uh, Kyler Fackrell's time at the Packers is done, that's so, so be it. You know, I'm not arguing, but I, I do think that this, this kind of uh, inter- interchangeable chess piece defense, especially when you look back at at the defense that he ran, I think in Buffalo, you know, there's a lot of of, of moving parts, so the, you know, it's easy to kind of uh, shift the line at the line, you know, kind of move move guys off. You know, I, I feel pretty safe in saying that most Packers fans came away thinking that last season was a defensive improvement. It's hard not to see kind of more of the same and, and probably some new wrinkles uh, coming into this season, and that's pretty exciting. Moving along to round six, we're, get, we're getting into the late stages here. Pick 186, Kadar Holman cornerback from Toledo uh Holman has the kind of story that I think Packer fans can really get behind having no offers out of high school worked odd jobs sent tapes to colleges hoping to get get an offer and and gets a walk-on offer at Toledo earns a starting corner spot by 2016 um Tex hopefully he's not gonna have you're you're not gonna have to press a six-round corner into duty right away but certainly you love the story you, you love uh, the commitment that he's shown and oh yeah, a sub four forty yard dash doesn't hurt either. Right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He's um, he's a really interesting prospect. And, and like you said, the speed is the big thing that jumps out at, at you on, um, on Holman, but you probably look at him as being a special teamer in year one. Right. I mean, that's, that's where a lot of these late round draft picks make their way onto the roster. And I, I would love to see, let's say the Packers line up, Kadar Holman and Josh Jones as your two gunners. You got four three six speed on one side and four four one speed and a two hundred and fifteen pound guy on the other side. That's that's a pretty darn good uh, um, set set of uh, of gunners at least uh, on paper there. But um, you know, and, and certainly the the way Holman's worked to to get to this point, um, I, you got to feel optimistic about just 
him being willing to put in the work on the special teams and and develop and and earn his his way into this roster that way. So there's some, uh, like I said, fun tools to work with. Um, he was another guy who had a pre-draft visit with the Packers. So um, I actually had him as one of the guys that um, I was kind of thinking that, that would be on their radar for day three. So I was very pleased to see him uh, come to Green Bay in round six. He reminds me a, a lot of Tony Brown. Yeah. Similar size, too. Yeah, relatively good size, about six foot, about 200. I think they both have about 31-inch arms. They're about the same height and the weight. And, uh, I, I, yeah, and I, I, I guess Tony Brown, I think, uh, what, what was Holman's uh, 40 time? Uh, it was either 4.36 or 4.37, yeah. Yeah, and uh, Tony Brown's combine time was 4.35. So, you know, I look, I love Tony Brown. So if we just got another Tony Brown <laughs> in the sixth round, um, I'm all for it. Let's move along to pick 194, still in round six. Dexter Williams, running back from Notre Dame. Uh, listen, just put on the highlight tape, man. I mean, the Packers needed depth at running back, and Williams has that kind of one-cut ability that that I think could really do some damage in Matt LaFleur's offense. Um, and so uh, hopefully I think he'll prove once again that that you can you can kind of find talent at running back nearly anywhere in the draft. Yeah, I mean, really, Williams seems like an Aaron Jones clone, almost. Um, he's a little taller, but in terms of their skill set, their explosiveness... He doesn't have the receiving chops. Uh, well, so so he doesn't. He didn't have the numbers that Jones did, but he was definitely used as a, a receiver in a couple of different ways by Notre Dame in, in his, his one year as a starter in, in 2018. So I think there's, there's reason to think that, um, that that ability is there if you can kind of develop it. Um, but as again, as far as explosive ability, um, both he and Jones, they've got that burst that you just can't teach. And um, for a for a zone blocking scheme like this, you know, you kind of you have to sit back, be patient. And then when you see your gap, you go and and you know, I think he'll be the you know a, a real ideal kind of plug and play guy for Jones. Um, I do still think Jamal Williams will get plenty of play in large part because of his pass blocking ability. Um, that's what's going to get him, I think, onto the field more than anything, though. Um, that and, and his receiving ability that he's shown as well. But um, as far as a, a guy who can come in, you know, maybe he can play 10, 15 snaps a game early on, give you a couple of, um, you know, uh, uh, opportunities for a couple of explosive runs here and there. I think this is a great fit. And honestly, as far as value pick goes, this was a fantastic value, I think, in round six, maybe the best value pick of the draft. Yeah, I mean, I guess if anything, I think the fact that that he could easily be the best running back in this class. Um, I do not think this was a strong draft for running backs. And the fact that that he he has just as good a shot as pretty much anybody else. I mean, he doesn't obviously have the opportunity that, uh, you know, Josh Jacobs has or anything like that. But I don't actually think Josh Jacobs is particularly all that good. So, you know, I, I, I think. This is another, it, more so than the fifth round uh, wide receivers, I think the Gutekunst uh, late round running back might might become a thing. And I don't see any reason for there not to be. I mean, I, I remember, I think we went through this with um, Jake and I kind of agree that, you know, it's just like running back attrition is so thick in the league that like, why would you spend a six rounder on any and anything else? If there's a running back that you like on the board, like you're never going to not need a running back. Um, and unless you want that guy to be Capri Bibbs, you know, take a, take him in the sixth round. Well, and definitely don't trade up into the third round to grab a yeah, running don't... back who's slow and not explosive. 
um, like a, a certain Chicago team did this this weekend. <laughs> Shots fired. Yeah, I have no idea what Chicago was doing in this draft. And, and, and just a complete lack of uh, cap structure considerations. Like why would like their team's going to blow up cap wise in two years and they're, and they're trading up picks, not trading down. It's just, all right. All right. Whatever. Anyway, <laughs> rounding out the draft pick two twenty six in round seven. Finally, we get a linebacker Ty summers from TCU Seventh round picks are like total flyers, but you know what? What is interesting here is that there is currently one opening opposite Blake Martinez, and Summers was the only linebacker drafted. So you know they'll probably bring in more competition, um, but you'd think that Summers would have have an edge on those guys. And and keeping with Goody's trend, uh, this guy is another tremendous athlete for for this roster, if nothing else. Tex, what did you think of this pick? Yeah, I mean, you you look for upside in your your seventh round picks. I mean, last year they drafted Kendall Donerson, who just had a, a completely bonkers workout as an edge player. Um, you know, and this year you bring in in Summers, who you know w- was a, a an almost similarly um, crazy workout as as an inside linebacker. So, um, you know, whereas Donerson bounced around from the special uh, the practice squad to um, spend a little bit of time on the ra- roster, but never getting in games last year, I think Summers has a better chance of making the the opening day roster and actually seeing playing time, if only because again, uh, special teams is probably going to be his route to, to doing that. And you, you could see him with that athletic ability at that position, becoming a core special teamer for this team for a long time, um, as well as, you know, kind of a, a spot player as a, as a backup or rotational guy on defense. So that's, uh, that's all you really can, can hope for out of a seventh round pick. Obviously, if he does more than that, then that's just, that's just, um, icing on the cake, but um, you know, there's, there's plenty to like, and and he's also, he's interesting because he's played a bunch of different positions too. So again, another versatile guy, he's played defensive end, he's played um, rush linebacker, off ball linebacker. He's kind of played all over the place. And so, um, you know, it'll be fun to see what they do with him in the preseason, especially see if they find kind of a role for him on defense. But um, I'm, I'm looking for him to, to make the roster as a special teamer, um, you know, maybe as again, that, that fourth inside linebacker and really kind of lock down one of those, those key special team spots for a while. Finally, the, uh, Packers have filled the void left by the absence of Frank Zombo. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the other thing about that is I, I think, you know, he'll have an edge to making the roster, but I think it also speaks to the, to the belief they have in Oren Burks. Right. And I, I think it's good to see, you know, I, I hope we don't get into the to the Thompson, you know, legacy of holding on to Carl Bradford for four years or however long it was. But, you know, giving guys a chance, even if their first season wasn't all you, you thought it would it should have been um, is not, you know, I, I'm glad to see that Oren Burks, you know, is going to have every opportunity he needs to to really contribute to this team, uh, despite, you know, an injury laden first season. All right, guys, that's that's all the picks. What about some final thoughts here as we wrap up? Um, how do we feel about this team now? Has, has the draft changed our thinking or, or reaffirmed uh, how we felt? Tex, what do you think? I'm, I'm excited to see Pettin's defense. I think that's my biggest takeaway from the draft is um, with, again, you know, it goes back to my, my comment earlier, but with these versatile guys, um, lots of different chess pieces for Pettin to use, um, he can hopefully cook up some some crazy things in in his little mad scientist lair there in at Lambo. 
And um, and I'm looking for, especially for the the pass defense this year, um, to take a huge step. You've got a lot of youth in that room in the defensive backfield uh, between Jair Alexander. You got that swagger. You get a little bit of that with Darnell Savage now too, um, and you get a completely revamped um, pass rush group, basically. So I'm I'm really excited to see that. And um, again, as we touched on earlier. Um, you know, the skill position guys kind of stayed the same. So you're counting on improvement on the offensive line and you're counting on, um, you know, keeping Aaron Rodgers healthy and and hopefully Matt LaFleur's scheme re- revitalizing him. Yeah, I mean, I guess the the coming out of the draft, I don't know if I'm ever going to not think that Rashawn Gary was a reach at 12. And, and that might be, you know, whatever. There's only one way to find out and that's to wait three or four years. And that's all I'm going to say about that. But the one thing coming out of this is like, I look at the offense and I think that LaFleur has really in some ways painted himself into a little bit of a corner maybe in that scheme is going to be so important. And I'm not sure why, but I'm a little worried that it might get off to a slow start. And, and I think that I hope he's ready for that. You know, I don't, I I don't, I don't know why I have this. I think part of it is just because they keep talking about running the ball so much. And I'm just like, there's this, Part of me that's just like, oh my god! Like, please don't do this. Like, I'm I'm for running the ball more through Aaron Jones, but I'm not for running the ball for the sake of running the ball. Uh, it, it, you know, like Nathaniel Hackett running, you know, Fournette into the ground in Jacksonville with with Bortles is not the same as what you should be doing with Aaron Rodgers. And I don't, I really don't want to go down that road. And I and I hope too that 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 the kind of uh, standing pat at wide receiver isn't a reflection of, well, you know, we don't need that many great wide receivers because we're going to run the ball, you know, 54% of the time. But, you know, we'll see. And and I know that's a, that's a weird takeaway to come away from a draft with, but I do think that there's some indication that they really are kind of kind of lean into the scheme side of things and, and and believe it's a matter of scheme rather than players on the offensive skill side of the ball. And while I don't necessarily disagree, it just means that the scheme has to be good. And and I think they've they've kind of upped the pressure on themselves with that after this draft. Well, I think a slight twist on your take is that the the Packers know that they'll get off to a slow start on offense just because it takes time to install a new system and to see it flourish. And so what they did this offseason and through the draft uh, was to bolster their defense to try to make things as easy on the offense as possible. I guess that's my my slightly opposite take. Yeah, I mean, I, well, I don't I don't know if those are opposite or, or glass half empty, glass half full kind of complimentary takes. There you go. Yeah. I would go back to um, looking at Matt LaFleur's past a little bit. So in 2016, when he was the quarterback coach for the Atlanta Falcons, um, the, the breakdown of pass to run, it was admittedly a little scary. They had the 12th most rushing attempts in the NFL and only the 26th mm-hmm. most passing attempts in the NFL. But the thing is, they also blew everybody away in yards per attempt in the passing game. They were, even though they were what, like, seventh least attempts they were third in passing yards and second in passing touchdowns um, yeah and, and so it that was matt ryan's mvp season and um, yeah you know they had again they had the the dual threat with Devonte freeman and tevin coleman as your running backs both of them are you know good receiving backs as well so yeah I, I i would like to look at that type that offense from that team that year as kind of your your blueprint for what you could do with this packers team you've got a quarterback 
who I mean, Packers fans, will, I'm sure, will certainly agree with me, is is a, a more talented player than Matt Ryan. You've got running backs who I think can play the kind of roles that Freeman and Coleman did in that offense. You've got the the receivers. I think you, you've got the top end guy in Adams who can at least be in the conversation now with Julio Jones after what Adams did last year. And I think you've got some some promising depth at, at receiver as well. So the pieces I think are there. It's a matter to me of um, you know, kind of, kind of trying to bring out the same magic that that 2016 Falcons team had, um, and that would be where I would look to as a blueprint for for how to treat this offense this year. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I if that's if that's the case, um, I, I think, yeah, that's that that's a pretty that's that's a good outcome. I, you know, if it's if it's 2018 Titans uh, combined with 2018 <laughs> first half of 2018 Jacksonville Jaguars, I think we have a little more uh, trouble. But I mean, you know, it, it, there's this part of me that's like, uh, you know, there's no way that that um, Murphy, you know, goes into those guys' interviews and says, "Hey, can you guys recreate the 2018 Titans offense and the uh, 2018 Jaguars offense?" And and sure, that's what we're hiring you to do. But it, I, you know, the more the, I, I almost feel like I I did not have enough time to react to those hirings. I I, I the Hackett one, I still am kind of flummoxed by. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm going to find something to worry about before a new a season with this much change. So that, that's what it's going to be, I guess. That's your new Twitter bio, Ben Foley. I'm going to find something to worry about. I mean, it's true. I mean, I'm like a weird mix of both not caring and like being pretty, pretty easygoing about all of it, but then like also being able to find weird problems to get worried about that long before I actually need to get worried about them hashtag same all right guys thank you tex thank you ben the picks are in a lot of new faces in green bay it's a brand new day and and hope springs eternal unless you're ben foldy on twitter so as the uh off season progresses and we get closer to real football action in green bay keep it locked in to acmepackingcompany.com and the podcast here at the apc pod on twitter if you like what we're doing here give us a rating on itunes please and thank you And uh, yeah, until next time, go Pack Go!